0: not only did artists have to create, but they created art that was inspirational. Um, It wasn't about the misery and the agony. It was actually inspirational and lifted everybody, gave people or helped people to retain their sense of humanity and identity.
1: Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin, and today's guest is Clive Gillinson, who serves as both executive and artistic director of the famed Carnegie Hall. Welcome, Clive. Hi, Aaron, I'm wonderful to see you again. Oh, it's great to see you, and thank you so much for joining us. So I thought I would just kind of dive in, you know, we let our our viewers, you know, check out your bio and all of that. We kind of don't want to take up showtime with, with all of that, but to really delve into questions, So, you know, you lead what really many people view as, you know, our nation's concert stage. How do you see kind of the role of Carnegie Hall um, kind of in overall society in terms of uh, what you do artistically? Do you have a sense of kind of that role you play in American society?
0: Sure, well, we certainly have a mission around that and what we're trying to achieve, which is really to bring the greatest music and musicians of every genre to Carnegie Hall and find ways of sharing that music with the greatest number of people. And then in parallel with that, we also have a massive education commitment, which until everything that's just happened now was reaching about 800,000 people a year, 700,000 of them kids all around America and growing and growing. And, And our view is that everybody should have the right to have access to music to engage with music, to have music as part of their life, and really for us to be able to share the inspiration that music brings to people's lives. So that is what we're here for. And for me, the most important fundamental that underpins all of it is we're not here to serve Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall is here to serve people. And we serve people, you know, local communities, um, more regional National as well as international. And and it's really how you ensure that the inspiration and the transformational power of music can affect as many people's lives as possible.
1: That's awesome. And of course, the educational work is just extraordinary. I know I've had the opportunity to see it, you know, firsthand, and it really is extraordinary. On that kind of role of of kind of the artistic side of of the hall and and what you do, you know, one of the things that I notice is that, you know, there's a lot of, of, you know, presenting institutions around the country, and typically they'll be structured. They have their president or executive director, and then they have, you know, kind of that lead artistic, you know, director, and those are often separate positions. And uh, similar to kind of the Sphinx organization, when uh, when Afa stepped into her role, she was like, I am never giving up my artistic piece. I, uh, I want to kind of hold on to that. But in leading both the artistic and all of the administrative functions of the hall, Can you just kind of talk functionally for a lot of our viewers who might be arts leaders themselves and thinking about how they're Mm -hmm. structured, kind of both why you chose to uh, kind of, um, you know, hold on to both of those pieces and kind of have that oversight and how you feel structurally that works for the organization?
0: Well, firstly to say, I don't think I'd be interested in the job unless the two were combined, because I think, what is fascinating is how you work together in developing a mission and developing your contribution to society in general, but then finding how you make the money work. And I always, my philosophy has always been money follows vision, and therefore you've got to dream beyond your means. Now, if you separate the executive and the artistic, then to some extent there's going to be a danger that the executive will say, this is all we can afford. Um, whereas if you're both, you can kind of have the crazy dreams, but it's then your responsibility to make them happen, and you know. And I think that's why it's good that it's in the same place, because otherwise I think it's very difficult for an executive director to have an artistic director who's saying, "Let's reach way beyond our ability," which is what you always have to do in the arts. Um, but it's your job to find the money to do it. It's not mine, um, you know, because I have to do both. It means however big a stretch we make, I then have responsibility as well for ensuring it can happen. And so I think that's actually really important. And it also means you will stretch further than I think you would otherwise.
1: Wow, that's that's powerful. And I think that's probably what's led to, so certainly under your leadership, you know, uh, Carnegie has done some extraordinary things. And it seems if I kind of were to take a snapshot of Carnegie's programming, you know, uh, you know, several decades ago and, and before your tenure. And then if I look at the last 10 years, it seems like there's really been a shift. There's obviously transformative in terms of the diversity of the program in all ways, you know, kind of just cultural genre, all types of things. Has that, was that kind of part of a, a vision you had coming in or did that develop? How, how did you kind of achieve what really seems like a a, a kind of a extensive shift in the um, in the impact, the diversity, and, um, and the way in which the programming reflects the community in New York and even nationally? Well, I mean, yes, it was very much my vision. I
0: felt Carnegie Hall was extraordinary. Um, but on the other hand, I felt the potential was so much more than what we had achieved so far. And look, every organization continues to grow and develop. And, and the person who comes after me, I hope, will feel exactly the same. Um, that the potential is yet greater, um, and it always will be, and it always should be, uh, but for instance, the whole issue of creating storytelling um, the big festivals that we 've started and, and we 've looked at lots of subjects as you know, um, uh, the, the, our most recent was migrations, looking at the impact that um, immigrants have had on developing american culture but we 've looked at the african American cultural legacy we 've looked at lena bernstein Ber- Berlin, Vienna. South Africa, South America, the Venetian Republic, um, we've looked at a huge number of different subjects, and we try and look at something really important every year. Now doing that was a new project that I brought to the hall, but not just through music, but working in partnership with the greatest institutions throughout the city, so that we could take oh, sorry so that we could take audiences on journeys of exploration across music, dance, film, theater, literature and so on. And um, so I feel we need to be an absolutely key partner with audiences about how we challenge everybody to explore and to to make new discoveries and to look at things they might not otherwise have looked at. So, you know, that's been a big part of what we've changed. So we're not really anymore a concert hall that presents just wonderful concerts that are extraordinary events. They always have to be. But we're trying to tell stories and stimulate people to take journeys. And my hope is that those journeys are ongoing journeys for life. That once we've actually stimulated somebody's curiosity, whether it's around the African-American experience, South Africa, migrations, whatever it happens to be, and the festival coming up um, in the next season is around artists under oppression. And how did, you know, why is it that great artists or artists, no matter what the circumstances, have to create art? you know we're looking both at the extraordinary music and the creativity that came out of that we're looking at the holocaust Um, you know we're looking at a lot of different areas Um, and how not only did artists have to create but they created art that was inspirational Um, it wasn't about the misery and the agony it was actually inspirational and lifted everybody gave people or helped people to retain their sense of humanity and identity were perhaps trying to destroy that sense of self-worth, of identity, of meaning in life, the arts was central to how that was sustained.
1: Oh, that is, and I think you're just, you're capturing so well this role that the arts play and why it's so critical in our society, Um, and especially even at times like this. Though, um, from a functional standpoint, right, we've got certainly a lot of, uh, you know, our viewers lead either organizations or ensembles, and, and they have to think about partnerships. When you think about all this work you just described, which so clearly requires kind of strong partnerships, is there just a functional way that you look at and or approach them in terms of, here's the criteria. When we look at a partnership, it has to be either these set of things, or is there a, any advice that you would have for those who are looking to establish partners with peer institutions, or those that might be larger or smaller than them? Is there kind of a best practices that you utilize?
0: Well, I don't know about best practices. All I know is what we have learned along the way. And firstly, the most important thing we've learned is that if you want to do really important things that affect the lives of the greatest possible number of people you can reach, you cannot do it all on your own. You have to work with partners. So just as an example, our program Link Up for elementary school kids, we share it free with 115 orchestras all around America, reaching, I think, half a million kids a year just through that. Now, if we tried to do that on our own, we'd be reaching 20, 30, 40, 50,000 kids at the most. But by enabling others to succeed, giving them world-class resources um, and helping to train them to deliver the program, giving them obviously all of our curriculum it means we're benefiting vast numbers of kids who would never otherwise it would never be possible for us to reach them otherwise Um, so that to me is why partnership is fundamental now what drives it is shared objectives and shared values and so we always seek um, people organizations who believe in the things that we believe in but also who share our values. Now we learned a very harsh lesson a number of years back, where we tried to create a partnership with an organization around an education project, um, which was to do with uh, you know creating exams and education resources. And it turned out that we were all speaking the same words, but the words weren't meaning the same thing. And you know, when we said quality largely 90, 90 plus percent, 98 percent, ideally, need to be satisfied. They thought 75 percent was fine um, of people being satisfied. And we realized very quickly that it all turned into an impossible situation because they were saying this is going great and we were saying it's not good enough. So you end up effectively criticizing your partner, which is hopeless. You just can't do that. Because um, it's seen as criticism if, you, if you're setting different values. So we agreed amicably to part company, um, and and that was that. Um, so it does have to be about shared values, and the big lesson there was it's not just about the words. It's actually what the words mean to you, and that you've got to share the meaning as well.
1: Well, definitely. It's, uh, I think, a, definitely an incredible approach. On the, on a kind of similar sense, but um, in terms of our artistry, right? So there's, you know, any number of musicians, ensembles, etc., who want to come to Carnegie Hall, and, and other than the adage of practice, 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 uh, that the taxi driver says, uh, you know, in terms of how to get to Carnegie Hall. Is there a, a kind of set of just initial criteria that you use you know, when, when we are going to have artistry on any of our stages? Here is the core you know, fundamental criteria that we look to, to begin with in terms of consideration. So for those out there who are either thinking for themselves of one day hoping to be on, on your stage or on you know, the stage in their city, um, what are kind of some of those core criteria that you look to say to say here is what an artist or ensemble needs to bring to just even really be even thinking in terms of consideration?
0: Well, firstly, to say we cover music of every genre, as you mentioned at the beginning. So we're really looking at the best of every sort of music. And the key word is the best. Um, but the best can mean a lot of different things. Um, it's not just technical. In fact, anything but. Um, you know, of course, people have to be at the highest level technically. We're looking at young talent, we're looking at up and coming talent, we want to nurture young talent. Um, but essentially, we want as well artists and organizations who have a truly individual and meaningful voice. They've actually got something to say, they've got something to communicate, something that we think is important. It's not just about pure skillful competence. Um, in that I mean, look, yes, there's a lot of people nowadays who have techniques um, for us. That is not the issue. The issue is a thing and being important to share.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. And I think that is so important. And also, of course, then reflects what you were sharing about, you know, artists who are in times of challenge or oppression and the way in which what they have to share is so powerful to so many people. The, uh, to, to switch just a, a little bit, and we're, we're running a little short on, on time, but uh, obviously we are in the midst of a global pandemic uh, and that has uh, affected the arts as much, if not more, than so many other industries uh, that we have in our country. Um, as, as you look at it and as you've had to address it, I would say kind of two questions. One, uh, what has been kind of the biggest impact or decision that you've had to make related to these external forces of the pandemic and two how do you see the the future you know what do you see looking you know six months to a year ahead in terms of the impact of this do we return to normal or not
0: well in terms of normal i mean i think until there's a cure until there's a vaccine there won't be a normal because people won't want to collect or they won't feel safe collecting in Um, smaller spaces where you get people crammed together but that's going to be true of sports salience just as much as Broadway or any concert or theatre or whatever Um, so that that is some in terms of normality coming back um, from what everybody is saying could be a year to 18 months we don't know um, in terms of cures and vaccines Um, in the shorter term I mean obviously the toughest part of all of this for us has been you spend years in this business Working with the greatest artists in the world, trying to create what are their dreams and your dreams, and putting all of this together. And then from March the 13th through July, now at the minimum, um, you spend most of your time pulling all of those dreams down, Um, you know, because there's nothing you can do, um, you know, in terms of the specific concerts. And we're having to look at next season and the season after to see what are we going to be able to afford to do, because we'll lose about nine million dollars. Um, through to June 30 this year, this season. Um, And there's nothing you can do. I mean, the minute March 13 happened and everything goes out the window, um, you you cut costs as best you can, but most of the issues are already decided for you. Um, So we've done our very best to cut costs and it's still $9 million. Um, And we'll keep working on that and hopefully reduce it a bit. Um, But at the same time, not only are we working out what is actually going to be the model going forward, but we're also, of course, working out how do you use technology and how do you really look at connecting with people, sharing extraordinary art, extraordinary music in a way that is meaningful and personal. Um, So we've created a series called Live with Carnegie Hall, which we started this week, we launched this week, where we have an individual artist host, a great artist who will be the host. They'll also perform. They'll invite some of their friends um, onto the program. So they'll, they'll talk to each other. They'll, each program will tell a story. Um, Titus Burgess did the first one, which was brilliant. And it was about Broadway and his love of Broadway and the people he cares about. And he had some guests. Yesterday, Yannick Nessis again, um, who's the music director of the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Met Opera. He did one, which was basically looking at Beethoven because he was going to do a Beethoven cycle here. Um, 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth which had to be cancelled so we spent the program exploring Yannick's view about Beethoven and the meaning of Beethoven and why he's so central for almost every musician so we each week we'll have two of those programs but we're also looking much more broadly at how do we share all our education programs online until now we've been driving more and more online so that we could increase benefit now of course this has exaggerated the pace not the direction mm-hmm. um, but it has exaggerated the pace at which we're going to be transferring everything online which will never eliminate the personal connection um, it's not an either or these yeah. things are complementary and so it means actually we'll have benefited because in the long term Um, we will be doing far more online, which means far more people will benefit from what we do. So we're trying to look at the same time, therefore, not only at how do you restructure and create another sustainable business in a different world, um, but also how do you use every means at your disposal to benefit the greatest number of people, which has always been our mission, Um, but this obviously has exaggerated the pace of how that switches
1: online. Right. Absolutely. Well, they're doing a phenomenal job at it. Uh, So one last just quick question on a personal level, as you've been trying to address this and, you know, and stuck at home and all of these things where, you know, there's got to be some extraordinary, you know, challenges that you've had to address. Where have you found your own sense of inspiration? You know, when things just seem like they're you know, closing in or, or you know, collapsing a, a around you, kind of, how do you find a, a sense of inspiration or, or strength to, you know, kind of address all of the things that, uh, that, you're, that you're dealing with, you know, leading one of the, the largest and most important uh, arts institutions in our country? Well, in the end, you are always driven by the
0: power of music to change lives and to inspire people and, you know, to really enhance people's lives. And so, you know, there is never any diminution of that. I mean, however difficult this all is, which it is, incredibly difficult. Um, the fact is, at the core of it, and the thing that excites us, and why I enjoy waking up every morning and going to work, like I said, currently not going to work, but being at work, um, <laughs> is because of that. And it's the power of the music, it's, it's actually always, The fact that working for Carnegie Hall, which I think is the greatest music institution in the world, is inspiring because it means you should be doing more than any other institution can. Um, It's our responsibility because we've got this extraordinary place. How do we use that to have a greater impact on the world than we could possibly have anywhere else? And then it's people. Everything's about people in my life as well. And I always feel it's down to people. I mean, the only reason you succeed is people. Um, And our team is phenomenal. um, Very motivated, very creative, passionate about what they do. They've really thrown themselves into this. I mean, we thought that we worked really hard before this. Now we realised that was easy (laughs) compared with this. Um, You know, it's morning till night, every night of the week, seven nights a week. Seven, yeah, seven days a week. Um, So, I mean, it is ferocious in that way. But everybody's given everything. And and I think we will come out of this better, we will come out of it stronger, and that is the inspiration. But it's also the artists we work with. I mean, creating all these online resources, not one artist has said, what are you gonna pay me? Because obviously we can't pay. Not a single person has talked about money. Every single person knows that we have a joint responsibility to contribute to people's lives in the best way we can in these very, very trying
1: circumstances. And that's what
0: everybody is doing and everybody wants to be part of.
1: That is just, it is extraordinary. Clive Gillinson, you are truly one of the great arts engines in our field. Thank you so much for taking this time and sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you.